first on film and entertainment busy busy times because the international comedy festival has been in full swing for what a couple of weeks or more the number of invitations it is so nice that people want us to go along to their shows it's virtually impossible though as one human being to be at every single performance of every show it, it's kind of fascinating because you've got the people who are the repeats and then you've got those who come along you know fresh talent is always terrific and i want to encourage people for example who are graduates from the vca victorian college of the arts or from WAPA. i mean i've seen quite a bit of their material and i've been particularly impressed very very hard to even once you've gone to one of these institutions to get a regular gig because you know being an actor uh, being a producer being a director being a scriptwriter, ah, uh, hard, hard, hard work. Talk about scriptwriters, Peter Krause. You've written the script to your life, have you not? I, I'm sure I have. I'm just waiting for the movie to come out. Well, I was going to say, I reckon we need to make a movie about you because I think you see more film than anybody that I know, and your whole life is dedicated to cinema. So that's that's you know somebody somewhere will will get a camera out of the attic and. And, and shoot a feature film about you. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, it, it would be incredible. I, I can see the Oscar nominations now. Well, who's going to play Peter Krause, though? <laughs> who's going to want to play Peter Krause? Maybe that's the question. Um, uh, David Wenham? Uh, who knows? David Wenham. Greg <laughs> King, what do you reckon? Uh, Peter Krause as, as channeled by David Wenham. Would it work? Uh, I don't know. He'd probably um, a bit of makeup there, wouldn't he? I think Russell Crowe. I think the New Zealander, Russell Crowe. Oh, very good. <laughs> Jacqueline Hamilton, you are hearing from. Yes, indeed. We'll never let you live that down, Peter. Is he, he's part Kiwi, part Australian now, is he not? It depends which part you're looking at. Oh, oh <laughs> please. This is a G-rated program. He's Australian, Australian when he's winning Oscars. He's New Zealand when he's throwing phones at Hotel Clark. Oh, I see. very good. Okay. <laughs> we are going to talk about both cinema and theatre because uh, Jackie's had the good fortune to go along and see a couple of shows that I have seen. But we're going to start with a movie that is particularly long. And as those of you who do listen to the program more regularly will know, I usually find uh, uh, anything over 90 minutes challenges me. When this is double that amount, well, it's 179 minutes, this was always going to be an enormous challenge. I speak of Bo is Afraid. I was afraid before I actually walked into the cinema. It is R-rated, but it is starring one of the finest actors of the generation, our generation, Joaquin Phoenix. Very, very impressive. He really is. Plays Bo Wasserman, has issues, having a very, very bad few days. He's anxiety-riddled, and he's got a therapist, played by Stephen McKinley Anderson, who prescribes new medication ahead of a planned visit that dear Bo is making to his wealthy and successful 70-year-old mother, Mona, which we see her later in the film, played by Patty Lapone. She has been a massive controlling influence in Bo's life because he, he never knew his dad. All is now in readiness for the trip that he's about to take, the following day, in fact. Then everything goes pear-shaped. In fact, Anything that possibly could go wrong does. A large contributing factor is that Bo lives in a neighbourhood from L. That's the only way I can think of describing it. 
it, it's where the world's flotsam and jetsam appear to have descended in on mass. And obviously, as a result of all of this, the intended break goes awry, and Bo ends up in the company of benevolent strangers. I speak of Grace, Amy Ryan, and Roger, Nathan Lane. We haven't seen Nathan Lane for, for seemingly forever in film, so it was great. I, I thought of the birdcage immediately. He's got that smirk on his face as well. Anyway, they, the two of them, Grace and Roger, put up Bo, and they put him up in their troubled teenage daughter Tony's room. Tony played by Kylie Rogers. And that merely serves to further ostracize her. You know, she's got teenage angst and all sorts of things going on there. These are rather unusual parents, we shall say that. And they've actually memorialized their dead war hero's son. The couple that I'm speaking of, Grace and Roger, have also taken in the fellow soldier to their dead son. Fellow soldier called Jeeves played by Dennis Minichet, and and he's got major mental health issues. So as this story unfolds, we get to see a young Bo Wasserman, uh, his awkward interaction with his first and only girlfriend, Elaine. And Elaine is played as a younger person by Julia Antonelli and as an older person by Parker Posey. And this is a really convoluted plot, but with the introduction that I've given you now... I I reckon I've just brushed the surface. It's it's an increasingly zany piece of work, Bo is afraid, which I reckon starts with a heck of a lot of promise. I thought the first act was an absolute beauty, highly creative, intense, off the wall, and dangerously funny. And it's it's helped a great deal by the fine actor that Joaquin Phoenix is. His sort of nonplussed expressions serve to heighten the impact. And uh, I, I think they're high... They're, they're actually helped by the close-up cinematography favoured by Pavel pa- Pagorel. How do you pronounce his name, Peter? Pagor- Pagorzelski, who did the movie Fresh, which was quite different in its own way. So I, I, I really appreciated the cinematography. But, and there's a big but, Ari Aster, who did Midsummer, is the one who's behind this, and he has crafted a challenging decidedly confrontational, increasingly obtuse script, which, well, unfortunately loses its way, does it not, Gregory King? Uh, well, it does lose its way a little bit. Um, this is a completely bonkers, surreal, bloated, pitch black of a service, service comedy. Um, it's not really a horror film, though, which Astor is more known for, Hereditary in Midsummer. Um but it's more of a disturbing Kafkaesque nightmare full of Freudian overtones. And it reminded me a little bit of Darren Aronofsky's equally bizarre film Mother, which you might remember from a few years ago. Um, and also a bit of David Lynch weirdness thrown in there as well. And the film taps into our contemporary fears that modern cities are dangerous places to live. I agree that um, the place where Bo lives, a seedy apartment above a porn theatre, is not <laughs> the most salubrious environment there. And Could you imagine, Greg, you live in a city, mate. Could you imagine living in a place like that, honestly? No, my place is a lot more cleaner and a bit safer, Alex, but the area he's living in is populated by deadbeats, drug addicts, bookers, and there's even a naked serial killer running around stabbing people there. Um, look, I, I enjoyed the first hour or so of this film, that, the first couple of acts there, but I thought the longer it went on, the sillier and more incomprehensible it became. But you're right, 
Um, Wacom Phoenix does a, a superb job there. He conveys all his anxiety, his mental troubles there. Um, and he's obviously got a troubled relationship with his mother there. Um, a lot of unresolved issues there, which seem to be the source of most of his anxieties and phobias. He's got more phobias and neuroses than you can poke a stick at there. Um, I, I thought Nathan Lane was slightly creepy as the doctor there. Um, there is an extended animation sequence from Chilean animators, Wacom Casino and Christabel Leon, that shows Bo on an odyssey to reconnect with his family, which was interesting, but I don't know. Um, I struggled with that, Greg. I, 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 I know. It was, inter- it was an interesting way to put it together there. And I agree with you. It was beautifully shot there uh, by his regular cinematographer, Pavel Pogzelski. Um, and I like the production design from Fiona Crombie um, that created the bungee look the grungy look of um, Bo's seedy apartment building there. Um, look, this is a film that will confound, be, be moved and disturb audiences. It's going to polarise audiences, Alex. But yeah, the really. first hour or so is really interesting and um, full of pitch-back humour. And I enjoyed that part of it. But after he left the um, Nathan Lane's family, it sort of lost me a little bit. Yep, yep. I, I mean, I, look, I, I agree. I, and I, I don't think it needed to be three hours, Greg, did it? No, no. So yeah, but Peter, uh, you're the sort of person who is going to say to me, "This is a piece of of magnificence of art." Sustains 179 minutes. Are you not? Ah, uh, you've just read my review. Uh, well, sorry. <laughs> let me let me also say to you that this is also what a Jacqueline Hamilton would say. Is that correct, Jacqueline? That'd be correct, Alex. There you go. So, Greg. What do we do with these recalcitrant reviewers? How do, how do, do we take them people out? Gonna have, have people are going to respond to this film in different ways, Alice. I understand that some people are going to love it, some people are going to loathe it, and some people are going to go, mm. but yeah, I, I just didn't think it needed to be three hours. There was interesting, a lot of interesting ideas in there. It throws everything at the, at the screen, not all of it sticks. Um, but yeah, so look, I know it's going to polarise audience. I know some people really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a small audience film. Let's be honest. It wasn't Joaquin Phoenix. I, I what's wrong with being about three foot six? Sorry, you said it's going to be a small audience film. What's wrong with being about three foot six? Oh my golly! Uh, and it's a dad joke. It's a it's a yeah. It's a sad dad joke. Very very sad, Gregory. All right, Peter, on your on your horse, mate. You can go for it. Why should we see three hours of this movie? Because this is a film. That I have retitled, Bo is going through a Freudian existential mental health journey. Everything that we see on screen and the way I interpret this film is through his eyes, which means he is going through a mental health breakdown. And so everything that we see is not realistic. It is through his perspective. And that's what I found so interesting about this journey is that he he goes through hell, he goes through all sorts of difficult experiences, mm-hmm. and he has uh, clearly mother uh, complex issues mm-hmm. uh, that that are well developed. But he also has issues with women in general, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, a lot of women treat him badly, or he perceives them to treat him badly. There is an extended sequence which I found very Shakespearean in many respects. Mm-hmm where he uh, is part of a theatre uh, presentation, a theatre performance, which I thought was a brilliant bit of staging and mimicked his own particular mental journey. Look, th- there is so much to admire about this film. Yes, it is long, 
but it is very involving. And just like uh, Homer's Odyssey and um, uh, and all sorts of Greek tragedies and and other sort of journeys that people with mental health breakdowns have, this film uh, is quite a revelation. And uh, Ari Aster, who is very good at depicting horror in terms of Midsummer and Hereditary, uh, has done an excellent job with looking at the horror of the mind and and how it can play terrible tricks on you. So I was very impressed by Bo is Afraid. And yes, you have to go into this film very carefully and be prepared. It is not uh, a film for everyone, but I think it is uh, quite a, a, a terrific uh, exploration of someone's inner demons. Would you agree it is a very small audience film, though? Well, yes, but so what? So in a no, sense, no, so, no, no, so is everything everywhere all at once, but that took off as a cult film. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you think this is going to take off as a cult film? I don't think it will. I don't think it's got a snowball's open hell of, of taking off as a cult, as a, as a large audience cult film. Small audience, yeah, maybe, maybe. I, but I mean, I, are you equating this to everything everywhere all at once? To some extent, yes, because it has a similarly convoluted uh, sort of plot line and w we don't necessarily understand what we're seeing on screen and, and why we're seeing it. So, yes, I think there are some correlations there. Okay. Well, I, Jackie, do you, let, let's start there. Do you think this is a cult film? Yes, I'm going to absolutely applaud everything Peter said. I totally saw it the same way as he saw it. Whether or not it's a cult film, we'll find out. You know, down the track, um, but I all the things that, that Peter has mentioned, I um, I endorse, a and I would add that I mean I I don't think there's a minute to get bored in this film, so I don't understand how you could say the first third or whatever was fine, and from there it just went on, because there it just keeps the revelation after revelation, and it builds and it builds, and it's it's one of the few films of this type that I've seen that packs so much in and then ends so memorably. I mean, it doesn't just fizzle out. Does it end memorably? Does it end memorably? I didn't think it was all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 thought, I thought it became. It just comes together. It became yeah. killers. It became, I mean, the whole idea to scramble your mind, to screw with your head, uh, is, is that is that reason enough to make a movie? Well, they're not necessarily, no, that's not the reason. For the movie, don't be silly. It's 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 I'm not being it's silly. I'm being giving us insight into his scrambled mind, into his permanently dazed and confused condition, into his nightmare, which is kind of a comedy to us, and the complexities and what he faces and what he's come from, and perhaps what you know, maybe some is mental health and some is caused by um, parental um, um, cruelty, verging on abuse and stories he's been told and therefore what you know what he's taken into and and forms the kind of person he becomes which just becomes um more and more entrenched with the life that he lives um and uh, I, I just i just found and and visually there is so much in this film you've mentioned a few scenes the animation i thought the animation was a brilliant um kind of um, subplotted satellite kind of film with it, as was the theatre performance where he sees what his life perhaps could have been, and you can you can feel the ache within him for what he what he could have had, and he can see it, but he never just 
did have that. And I think there's, there's, there are just so many stories and so many different ways to tell it within this film that I couldn't see a minute in which you, you could possibly um, be bored. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I did find that there were periods which were just elongated unnecessarily and I, I thought they could have trimmed or cut out altogether. But, okay, given all of that, well, let's start with the good. Peter, score out of 10 for a movie that will appeal to some people. A superb film. Jackie, I agree with your comments as well. And the animation also fitted in beautifully. Nine out of 10 from me. Wow. Okay. Nine out of 10. She was. Uh, all right. Uh, Jackie, where, where do you go with this? I'm, I'm very close to that. I'm on an eight and a half out of ten. And Bo is afraid. Eight and a half out of ten. Always afraid. Always afraid. Yeah. And might I also say, I what you said first up, Alex, um, Joaquin Phoenix, um, I mean, just an absolutely yeah. outstanding performance. He is so credible in this mm-hmm. really uh, very odd personality role. Um, I just thought he was absolutely brilliant. I think it's his career best, really, from what I've seen. Well, I, I, I think he's a magnificent actor and he inhabits the character and you believe that he is Bo, which is exactly what you want. Okay, Gregory King, you and I are going to be much more aligned on, on scores here. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, I agree with what Jackie said. Now, the film relies a lot on Wakan uh, Phoenix's performance. He seems to be drawn towards these um, edgy characters um, and he's on screen for much of the time and he's really committed to the performance there. It's really intense and emotionally draining there. But um, as I said, I found some of it just a little bit off-putting there. I'm going to give it six out of ten. I'm giving it six and a, six and a half. So there we go. It, it really splits us. And uh, I, I, I was so excited about the first 45 minutes and then maybe even an hour and it then started to lose me. And, and then it, by the end, it totally lost me. So there we go. All right. JF, 88 FM. We've had an R-rated movie we were just spoken about. Uh, let's talk about a good person. I'm not just talking about you, Jackie. I'm talking about the name of a movie, which is MA rated, and it's 128 minutes long. Broken, bruised, beaten. I'm not talking about the St Kilda Football Club, Greg. I I speak of, and this is in in previous years, I speak of a person called Alison, played by Florence Pugh, who's this beautiful, talented, intelligent woman in her mid-20s, after a catastrophic incident. And there's this before and after Alison. The before, well, person with joie de vivre, confidence, whole life in front of her. Engaged to be married to her soulmate, Nathan, played by Chanae's Uchi. Then a moment of distraction changes all of that. Alison is addicted to oxycodone. Her life's spiraled out of control. She falls deeper and deeper into the mire. Self-loathing is her middle name. Overtures from her mother, Diane, played by Molly Shannon, summarily dismissed. The man who helps rescue her has his own bucket full of pain. Tired cop, Vietnam War vet, Daniel, played by Morgan Freeman, was a physically abusive father, an alcoholic estranged from his son. Now he's all at sea, trying to single-handedly bring up his out-of-control 16-year-old granddaughter, Ryan, played by Celeste O'Connor, who has lost her parents. So Alison and Daniel's lives intersect and collide. Their anguish and that of their nearest and dearest are palpable. Now, 
okay, I could see, and I've deliberately been careful about what parts of the narrative I've let loose because I want you to see it and, you know, be surprised when you go along and see a good person. But look, I could see myself being pulled one way and then the other while I was watching a good person. I was cognizant of that. But I was nevertheless heavily invested in the journey that the writer and director, Zach Braff, created. Didn't he do a Garden State all those years ago? Yes. It was two decades ago. Good golly. Anyway, I really, I I enormously appreciate the stellar talents. Every time I see Florence Pugh, she just gets better and better. And Morgan Freeman, I mean, wow. The two of them on screen together, superb. Their talents are on display again here. Their ability to be in the moment, to capitalize on emotional intensity is what elevates this pair to the highest echelons of echelon of actors, you know, the pantheon of actors, shall we say. And you, you've got Pugh being, as Alison, being vulnerable, lost, fearful. She just wants to find a, a way for her pain to go away, and it simply will not. And then you've got Freeman as Daniel, a, a, a man with profound regrets and frustration, someone who, like Alison, has to learn to live with the pain that he has inflicted. So... It's a film that asks the question, how can one move on? And, and, and it's a tale that resonates because it's slice of life material. A split second can change everything. Many flounder. Some survive, others do not. So, I mean, I, I said to you, it's a film that is manipulative and you could argue every film is, but you can see it here and you can see it in a lot of movies and that really puts me off. It didn't this time. It, I found it deeply affecting and... I was I was quite emotionally invested in this movie, Jackie. You? Oh yes, I yes I agree with you, Alex. As well as being emotionally invested, I was able to sit back and say, "Oh, they're really, you know, really pulling on the heartstrings here and yeah. pushing that a bit far." So uh, I did like that. It it was it was there were a lot of times of really raw emotion coming out that you could imagine would be quite real and it did actually make me wonder whether it might be based on truth or on a true um, um, episode or whether they had done a lot of research with people who had been in that situation it, it, you know it, there were a lot of times where it got quite ugly um, in its honesty and that rawness pretty brutal in the home truths but there again it would swing around again and sort of be quite heartwarming um, the relationships were interesting, um, and I agree with you that together, um, Florence Pugh is just stunning, and Morgan Freeman was just uh, magnificently expressive and um, understated through most of this in in um, in his um, very um, expert uh, ability. Prescription pills addiction is a is a horrible thing, and um, it. So it gives the film a kind of a a sense of being worthwhile, if you like, and maybe um, a worthwhile film might lose a point for trying a bit hard, but it was well done. Mm. It really is interesting because when they make slice of life movies, you sort of wonder, well, why do you want to see this? You hear it on the news all the time, but you just see, do you agree with me, Peter, that Florence Pugh as an actor, it's just is astounding for somebody so young to be so invested in the roles. I, I, I want to see, 
I'm longing to see the next Florence Pugh movie. That I walk out of this and think I've got to see the next one. How do you feel about her as an actor? Oh, she's very impressive. Uh, an Irish actress who uh, has really transcended into international roles and she has done a, a brilliant job. It's interesting how this film, a little bit like Bo is Afraid, also deals with psychological breakdown and mental health issues related to an incident and uh, and the idea of possible redemption. Uh, Zach Braff has uh, dealt in his films, uh, I Wish I Was Here and Garden State, as you mentioned, uh, and this one, A Good Person, in uh, issues related to damaged people and how these damaged people can still find ways to move forward, possibly. Uh, this film is very impressive in some respects and also a little bit melodramatic and emotional in other respects. Uh, I like the storyline. I like the metaphor that is created in the film with the model trains that um, uh, Morgan Freeman runs in his basement and the whole idea that the film uh, starts and ends with the idea that a train that has a community that moves forward uh, is a way of resolving uh, any sort of personal issues, potentially, for people who are undergoing uh, all sorts of difficulties and problems. Um, it's interesting, too, that a good person is a line that is referred to by Morgan Freeman's character. He says, I am a good person. And then the inference is, I hope that you can be one as well. So I think there is a, a lot to admire about this film. Uh, about the metaphors that abound in the film, and and a little bit less so in terms of some of the melodrama that does perhaps uh, perhaps Zach Braff could have restrained a little bit, but overall I, I think this is quite a good film dealing with grief, responsibility, and redemption uh, from a tragic circumstance. Mm. And Greg, um, in I haven't seen this one yet, Alice. Ah, okay, no problems at all. Well, look, let's get. I suspect that given what we've all said about it, our scores are likely to be reasonably similar. But let's let's start off with you, Peter. Uh, look, I, I liked it. I gave it seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Jackie? I liked it. I gave it six out of ten. And I liked it, and I gave it a seven out of ten. So there we go. A good person, M.A. rated. Now, a movie that's been around for a few weeks that I only got to see oh, about eight eight days ago, I think now, we didn't get to it last week and we were going to, called Broker. Now, it's M-rated, and this is also a long film at 129 minutes. A, a baby box in South Korea where women can leave newborns to be picked up and cared for by people who care, right? That, that's the starting point for what is a really powerful journey involving a mother that abandoned her bub, the men who took her, and the police who are following the case. The woman is so young, that's the character's name, played by Lee Ji Yun. And as the movie unfolds, we hear more about her backstory. The men who took the infant named the infant is named Wu Sung, intending to sell her to the highest bidder, are Sang Hyung, played by Song Kang Ho, and Dong Su, played by Gang Dong Won. Now, the former, the first of these guys, runs a laundry business, Sang Hyun, but is constantly saddled with debt. The the latter, Dong Su, grew up in an orphanage, works in this facility that houses the baby box. The day after this young lady so young leaves her child, 
she returns to collect the tiny type. And when she realises that this baby has been taken, she's about to call the police. When the two men who did the deed tell her everything. Now, unlikely as this seems, So Young ends up joining the pair in their pursuit to find new parents for the Littley. And all the while telling them are police detectives. One played by Duna Bay and a younger colleague, Lee Ju Young. And they hope to catch the perpetrators in the act of selling the child. And basically, with that wrap up there, half here investigated in, into these men. There is a lot more in Broker than it first meets the eye. I really appreciated the way the movie was written and performed. Quite revelatory, actually. And, and we're, we're drip-fed information about all the main players as the narrative develops. Initial harsh judgment is tempered by the circumstances and the fact that notwithstanding their intent, the perpetrators are not viewed as traditional villains. Now, the man behind it, behind the film as a writer and director, is Kori Eda Hirokazu, won the Palm Door at Cannes back in 2018 for the movie Shoplifters, which was really, really strong. And there's a lot of nuance and surprises in Broker. I I really like the older baby Broker with a sense of benevolence. Uh, His partner makes it clear there's nothing worse than abandonment because of his own circumstances. And there's a really tough resilience about the characterization of the mother, the, the, the so young character, by Lee Ji, and, and a determination about the work that the detectives are also doing. So I thought that Broker was quite a mature, quite an accomplished piece, piece of work from a writer and director who really is at the top of his game. That's the way that I viewed Broker. Uh, what about you, Peter? Oh, I was very impressed by this film. It's interesting how this Japanese uh, filmmaker, this is his second uh, foreign language film after making the the French film The Truth with uh, Catherine Deneuve. And what he likes exploring in his films is the idea of dysfunctional families that can actually come together uh, and have some sort of cohesion. Um, and that's certainly the case in Broker. Uh, this whole idea of there being no villains really in this film. Uh, I mean, the, the woman giving up her child uh, at birth uh, and then uh, perhaps reconsidering, but really uh, understanding that uh, her child would not have a, a good life um, uh, unless it was adopted by a, a good family, etc., uh, is uh, is very impressive. And I like the idea of this uh, group of brokers uh, who came together as a sort of ersatz family, which is what... Uh, uh, the director likes to uh, put together in his films uh, is that families that can function well. Really strong story, really well directed, and I love the way the story developed into something that was very affirming and positive uh, so that children who are in a situation or babies who are put in this uh, circumstance are not given up to the state and possibly um, put into dire circumstances at times but are adopted by families that can truly look after this baby that the mother no longer is capable of looking after herself. So I really like this film uh, because of its character study, because of its uh, uh, connection with family and, and the way it resolves the uh, all the issues so beautifully in the film. Jackie, do you think that Broker is a movie that 
everybody will relate to, or again, it's going to be a limited appeal type movie? I would like to think that people would listen to and read uh, positive reviews of this film and um, step out of, uh, you know, step out of what might be their comfort zone in film watching and see this because it looks to not be, um, you know, your mainstream kind of film. But once you see it, it has a lot to say to the average person. And I've got nothing but love for Broker. I thought it was beautifully put together, beautifully filmed, beautiful characters, a great story, a great depth. Um, as Peter said, obvious, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, positive. And it has a very light touch. There's a lot of comedy in this film. There's a lot to enjoy and um, and actually laugh out loud at. And all those gaps uh, uh, that one wonders about through the film all come through and it's all it all um, rounds out in the end. So it's just beautifully constructed film, Broker. Yep. There are surprises there, aren't there? I mean, at every turn. And, and this is what makes the film... You don't want predictability. You want something that's a little bit different. And this is decidedly so, which is really commendable. Is it not, Greg? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting film. Um, it gives you some insight into something, a uh, way of life in Korea that we didn't know about, especially the baby adoptions and no baby boxes, which I hadn't heard of. Um, but this is similar to uh, Hirazaki's films, which follow characters on the outside, on the outside or the figures of society. Um, but it focuses on family values, as Peter and Jackie said there, um, and the importance of connecting there. Um, and it's a slow-moving but thought-provoking drama, and it's also got some of the tropes of the road movie genre here as the um, characters come together and sort of form an un unofficial family there. It's unhurried, and it allows audiences trying to get to know these broad characters, um, and the director explores their internal struggles, uh, conflicted emotional journeys, but he's not judgmental in his approach to the, the characters. Um, it's observational at times, um, and it handles the film's complex issues and themes with empathy, compassion, and some, as Danny pointed out, there are some generous doses of humour here and solid performances all around. And it's been beautifully shot, I think, by cinematographer Hong Jong Hong Ho, who done films for Bong Joon Ho like Parasite and Snowpiercer. So yeah, it's a winner. Um, but again, it's one of those slow burn films that um, allows you to um, get to understand the characters and what's going on. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you, you really, you, once you become invested, you really are heavily invested in it. So let's let's start with you then, Greg. A score out of 10 for this particular film. I'll give it 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10, okay. And I think, Jackie, you'll go higher. Oh, yes, I'll go a lot higher. And... Um... I remember Shoplifters very well. I love that. And I love the family connection in that film where you don't have to be family by blood. Um, it's by being together and fitting in together. So uh, Broker has the same kind of theme. I've given Broker a 9 out of 10. Wow. Okay. Peter. And similarly, I just like Bo is Afraid, uh, an incredible film, 9 out of 10 from me. Yeah, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10, so coming between... You and Gregory. So, but very, very worthwhile. No question about that at all. Now, we are moving on Jair 88FM from film to theatre. And Jackie, 
you went along with me to see, firstly, a which this, we don't say this a lot, an original musical made in Australia. And we, we start here by looking back at a movie that was Oscar-nominated. In fact, it was, pardon me, nominated for eight Academy Awards, and I speak of David Lynch's 1980 dramatic biographical film, The Elephant Man. So, from recollection, that was Anthony Hopkins and John Burt, was it not? So, that uh, that movie remains seared into my consciousness. It really had a huge impact. Anne Bancroft was there, John Gielgud as well. And now this clever and creative group of writers and composers, Mark Lucchesi, Sarah Nandekoppen and husband Jayan Nandekoppen, have taken the essence of the story and twisted it and turned it into, well, I think a highly entertaining and engaging musical dramedy. So I'm talking about The Marvelous Elephant Man, the musical. That's how it's been retitled. The Marvelous Elephant Man, the musical. It is on at Chapel Off Chapel. And I think there's a great deal of genius about the show, Jaggy. Uh, the story remains moving and meaningful, but it's also risque and irreverent the way that they've put it together. And you've got John Merrick, played by Ben Clark, who's a human freak and I use the word freak in inverted commas, abandoned by his mother, a prostitute, and exploited for his physical deformity. Uh, he's actually a, like a circus show oddity pointed to and laughed at. He's rescued, again in inverted commas, by an eminent surgeon called Dr. Treves, played by Canon Breen. His intention, though, or intentions, plural, are anything but laudable. Hope for... John Merrick comes by way of a nurse of that name, Nurse Hope, played by Annalise Hall, who sees behind the physical and enables Merrick's inner self to bloom. So that's The Marvellous Elephant Man. Before I give my thoughts, I'm interested in yours, Jackie. You, we, we sat near the top of Chapel Off Chapel in the theatre there. And <laughs> what did you think of the show? Um, well, your reference there to sitting in the near the top, I was actually in the back row, um, and that gave me the opportunity to to um, to to see what it was like from way up there in the nosebleeds. And the big problem with seeing the play was that it was the it was the problem was the staging. Um, the uh, most of the action took place in the front half of the stage. Well, it's not a stage, it's floor level. Um, and there's a raised, two sections of raised stage towards the back. And if the action had been on those raised platforms, I would have been able to see it. But as it was being on the floor, uh, I could only ever see uh, the actors from the chest up. So that didn't work when there were incidents where, for example, they fell to the ground and things were going on on the floor, and they were out of view. So um, I couldn't um, couldn't see how you could stage a play where half the audience couldn't see the actors, and yet we saw the orchestra in full glory for the entire duration. Mm, but you have really commented on what you did see, because I, I, look, I, I sat uh, literally <laughs> what about... Uh, 20 metres from you, 20 feet from you, actually. And I managed to see most of it without any problem. Uh, I just, 
I couldn't see their feet. In fact, somebody said to me afterwards, did you see those really shiny red shoes? And I said, no. <laughs> but apart from that, I, I really think that the musical works on, on so many levels. Do you, I mean, forget about... Well, I would, Alex, the first half was great fun, great lyrics, some really great vocal range in, uh, by, by the singers. Um, good fun, as you said, irreverent and um, cheeky and clever, really clever. Mm. And uh, I, when I heard the title of The Marvellous Elephant Man, the musical, I thought, uh, how, how are they going to do this? I really couldn't imagine how this could come together. And it was terrific. And then the second half went, to, the second half after Interval, I felt that it was a complete loss. It didn't take the story any further. I didn't even really understand and it dragged and it sort of became this romance that just kind of kept limping and limping and limping along. And if they'd left it at, for, at up to interval, I would have been much more impressed. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, I didn't feel that way. I, I really think that it needed to, I thought it did develop, but it, I mean, I found it engaging. It's ebullient. It's dramatic. It's dastardly. And it's also bawdy and, and belligerent. So all of those ingredients sort of came together musically, really melodic and lyrical. It ticked all the right boxes as far as that's concerned. And and I found myself heavily drawn to and invested in the in the tunes. I mean, a surefire of my involvement. I actually wanted to buy an album featuring all the songs. A number of those would have become earworms. So that they've done a really good job there. The stagecraft, the vocal strength, the the saxophonist credentials of Mark Lachesi who plays the ringmaster among several diverse characters, make him an instant hit, wasn't he? Fantastic. Major. Guy oh, is terrific. Absolutely you, terrific. You realise yeah. this is his first, this is the first attempt at a musical. I think that's, I mean, like I was blown away by that. And he had yeah, terrific voice. Yeah. Yeah. And much to do with the success of this particular piece. I, Mark Lachesi, L-U-C-C-H-E-S-I. That's his surname. And Canon Breen, well, didn't he drip with this supercilious ability? I mean, that's exactly what you want. Oh, there were great characterizations in it, for sure. Yeah, and milked his stage persona for all it was worth. And as Dr. Treves, the sort of arrogance and entitlement for his middle names. You know what I thought of, Jackie? He brings back a bygone era when patrons used to boo and hiss and throw rotten food at actors. That, that's what, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, Dudley Do-Right in the... Uh, it, it, that was one of our cartoons that we grew up with, wasn't it, Greg? Dudley Do Right? No, it wasn't long year. And who was who was the, who was the cartoon character who, uh, used to sort of um, play with his uh, moustache? It was a, 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 a bad guy. I don't even remember who that was. Anyway, that, that's what he reminded me of. Did it not? Did that not sort of set you off a little bit, uh, Jackie, in terms of the the Canon Breen character? Oh. I agree. Great characters. I enjoyed the characters, the lyrics. It was very good writing. Yeah, um, very good writing. But as I say, it was the second half that I just felt, um, perhaps I felt the first half was very clever and then the second half just kind of went slapstick silly. Mm, well, Annalise Hall has this really sweet, mellifluous voice, channeling this wholesome, angelic, temperamentally sound character. And she really did personify beauty and love in their purest forms. That was her role. And she did it very well. And finally, we, we talk about the elephant man, Ben Clark. He didn't need prosthetics to win his way to our hearts. Vocally, artistically, I thought he excelled from the opening number. He really readily projected vulnerability, fear and substance. And again, he played that beautifully. So 
they, together with a really talented ensemble, an accomplished band, they, they sort of breathe life anew into a story of oppression and exile, life and love. And the dramaturgy is by Guy Masterson, strong direction from Christopher Mitchell and Masterson, and the choreography, there, there were some dance sequences there. Eden Reed was responsible for that. I thought that was a treat. And the, the spotlighting was really good, a feature of the production. But the staging, I agree, Jackie, could certainly have been improved because the band was slightly elevated. And then there, that was on a stage left. And then stage right, at the same height, you had this uh, level that was used by actors in certain scenes. But yeah, you're right. Much of the action took place at, uh, at ground level. Wouldn't have been a problem in another theatre. And um, I, I've got to be fair here because we saw it on opening night and I, I, um, I spoke to the producer and he was really grateful and said that he would do something about it. So I, I hope that that, um, I don't doubt that if you put a, an elevated platform in, in that entire area, that would address that problem. And so to me, it was a really easy fix. So, I mean, it's just, I would call it a, it's noteworthy. Obviously, we both saw the same thing. But in the sum total of it, it's a small, if somewhat frustrating gripe that could readily be addressed. Would you agree with that or not? Well, for me, it was a big problem because I didn't see the performance as it should have been seen. Okay, fair enough. And it, and it was almost, it wasn't as as much visual as verbal, if you like, because I thought the lyrics were the strongest part of it. Yep. But I should have been able to see the cast. Mm. Well, it is a fresh Australian work about which we should be mighty proud and, and it deserves a bigger stage and a worldwide audience. I can see this going elsewhere. I, I can really see this transposing because The Elephant Man is such a heart-stringing type story and they've really twisted it. Uh, whether or not they'd get the sense of humour, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I think it, it does it, it does want an international audience. Do you not agree with that? Mm, not willing to make a judgment on that one, but why not? I, I, I think so. All right. So, look, that that's the marvellous Elephant Man, the musical. Alan, so before you move on, um, oh. the villain in WU Wright was called Snidely Whiplash. Thank you so much, Greg. That's Yes, I used to watch that. I loved it. I really... Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Some of them were quite funny and entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Jackie, you're just about old enough. Did you watch that or not? No. No. <laughs> no, I I watch Gilligan's Island. Yes, but this is a cartoon. Did you have a Did you have a um disrupted tri childhood where you weren't allowed to watch cartoons? That's absolutely correct. <laughs> there you not, go. Even, not even the Flintstones. That was around that oh. time. Uh yes, I I watched the Flintstones, but that must have been just on the odd occasion because um we were allowed to watch one half hour program before the news went on at seven o'clock. The ABC News. That was it. TV was evil. Is that, is that, uh, wow, okay. And what about you, Peter, uh, the evil one? What, what did you want? <laughs> I, I remember all the thinking that. I liked a lot of the animations. I especially liked the Jetsons, actually. I think that was a lot of fun. I agree. I agree. But I, my favourite was the uh, was the Flintstones as well, Greg. I thought they were fantastic. But, I mean, it's funny. You, I, I enjoyed them at the time. I remember seeing these shows and I thought, wow, these are really good. But, um uh as years go by the fondness has if anything even grown 
And maybe that's just the way it is. As you get older, you 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 um, memorialize things that may not have been quite as good as as uh, you remember them to be. But anyway, I like the Looney Tunes. Um, you know, the Road Runner and that as well. I like yeah, absolutely. Now, let's talk about Berlin, Jackie. Um, MC Showroom, which is round the corner from, corner from Chapel off Chapel, literally less than a uh, what half a kilometre away. Anyway, Joanna Murray Smith's remarkable insight, her attention to detail. Writing prowess, front and centre, captivating production of Berlin at this venue at the MC showroom. An Australian called Tom, played by Lachlan Hamill, was just landed in the German capital, keen to get to know the real city rather than just the tourist offering. He's directed to this small watering hole where he meets and is immediately drawn to a local bar worker called Charlotte, played by Georgia Latchford. We're talking one o'clock in the morning now, and the, the place is closed, the establishment, just the two of them at her place, and she's offered him her couch for the night. So their chat becomes playful and vigorous. They, they dance around each other in an attempt to get to know each other better. The spark between them is tangible as they reveal snippets about themselves. She's a student and writer. She's keen to become a poet. He says he's into industrial espionage. And as Tom tries to get her into bed... They appear to have similar musical tastes. She matches him stride for stride in conversation. She's very, very good at that. And they talk about their recent dating history. We learn that her parents separated when she was only seven years of age. Her father is a hedge fund guy living in London. Her mother is a narcissistic sculptor in Bern. Now, she was six when her four-year-old brother was killed in a tragic accident after he chased a ball onto the street. He received a little windfall after he was involved in a fatal car crash. I speak about Tom. Now, we find out that he is, in, in fact, Jewish on his mother's side and that he decided to visit Germany because his great-grandfather used to live there. Then the inevitable happens. But it's once the deed is done that things change considerably. And that happens when she catches him out on his mobile phone and thereafter the truth outs. The ugly past very much brought into the present. So you've got tragedy, exploitation and morality as the resounding themes. And, and this, by the way, was inspired by a family trip that Murray Smith, Joanna Murray Smith, did or took. An extraordinary piece of writing, I thought. Sizzling tale of morass and morality resplendent with intellectual rigour that really eats into one's soul. It causes one to reflect, to, to think and feel as the two protagonists go toe-to-toe for 75 minutes. It's a lot of words, a lot of verbiage. Nuances, expressions and pauses that the actors bring to the production are really important. And what a mature, top-notch performance by Georgia Latchford. She's got that down pat. Word perfect. We saw, we, you and I both saw the preview performance. I thought she was outstanding, Jackie. Oh, she absolutely is very assured, very assured. And uh, to the point where her intonation and accent, German intonation and accent were, um, oh, I couldn't tell if she actually was German or no, no, Australian. I, 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 I sort of, you and I both thought the same thing after. We've got to see, seek her out to sit. You know, she was having a conversation. We were trying to listen in as to whether she was an Aussie or, or a, a native-born German. I mean, that's, that's the sign of She's a young woman, I, I don't know, probably, what, mid to late 20s, I would imagine. And what a 
brilliant career she's got in front of her if, if this is any guide. And she, and yet, even with all the German accent, we we didn't miss a word of what she was saying. Clear as a bell, and beautifully um, projected voice she had, which which was really important because, as you say, oh, verbal base. Gosh, there, it was only about the the talking. There was really not much actually physically happens apart from a bit of alcohol drinking and putting on a putting on a uh, an LP. To play well, um, there's a not there's a little 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 love and romance, but there you go. But mo- most of the time, you're quite right. I mean, she really inhabited her character with poise and polish. But Lachlan Hamill, I mean, there's no doubt he's got boyish charm, which is what his character is, is infused with, and he brings Tom's yin to Charlotte's yang. And there, there's much more in this again than at first meets the eye as a piece of work. Hamill is readily channels the mood swings uh, that that sort of changing countenance that's essential to this work when we saw it, i thought he could slow down a tad and and let his words and intonation breathe that that was my take on it what would you have said he, yes he could have but there again he was very genuinely inhabiting the character of a young guy who was uh, a little bit nervous he just mm-hmm. met her he was you know he, he was a fish bit of a fish out of water and when you're nervous you do talk more quickly you, and right. so it was quite quite fair that that he didn't well uh, no i thought he did a good job he brought out yeah, our character tom very well yeah both, i mean both he and latchford particularly strong in the game of seduction i thought that was terrific and in in stating their respective positions in character when it counts so the director's erica chestnut crafted a really fine adaptation of berlin great little venue isn't it the mc showroom it, it, it's it's all intimate place yeah very it's terrific on there till the 30th of April. So, folks, please go along and see this. It is a really, really worthwhile show. Uh, just out of interest, if you were to score out of, out of 10, Jackie, what would you have given Berlin? Well, I'd give it a good seven and a half. I reckon it's higher than that. I really do. I think it's well worth seeing, folks. And uh, please, uh, young people on the go, you can really see where the future of Australian theatre and entertainment is with a show like Berlin. So go and see Berlin, go and see The Marvelous Elephant Man, and consider some of the films that we've spoken about. We've got to go, folks. So thank you very much, Peter, Greg, and Jackie, or Jackie, Greg, and Peter, or in whichever order you wish. We'll do it all again next week. First on Film and Entertainment, signing off.